Hi there, and welcome to the latest Cloud Native Wales Minimum Viable podcast. Today, I'm joined with Salman Nekbel. Hey, how are you doing, Minimum Viable podcast? See, that's a great iteration from the last podcast. <laughs> and with Salman today, I've got Daniel Morgan with me as well. Hi, Dan. Hiya. <laughs> so, how are you guys doing? What have you been up to since we last spoke? What have you been so, up to, Salman? Yeah, so since we last spoke, uh, two days ago, I started a new role in Office for National Statistics. We have data science campus, so we do data science for public good. And I've, I've been working in uh, doing DevOps for data science. So we're actually doing a lot of COVID-related analysis at the moment. So all hands in deck, trying to help out as much as I can. So yeah, that's what I'm doing. New job started two days ago. That's me. All hands on deck, but two meters apart, hopefully. Absolutely. Isolated two meters apart and social distancing, all of that jazz. We're going to need a bigger deck. <laughs> indeed, indeed. So what have you been up to, Dan? Um, well, with two tech parents working from home and two kids being homeschooled, we're having all the fun of the jungle while trying to get to production with our product at Nielsen Advertising. Great times. Great times. I'm just over here just breaking clusters and trying to fix them back up and then just taking those wins every day. But well, without further ado, let's get straight on to our guests. So today we're very, very excited to have one of the first people that came to Cloud Native Wales with us. And like I said at the last podcast, when we started this up, it was to build a community in Wales where we talked about Cloud Native technologies and not just build on these technologies, but we wanted to inspire people to be able to get them to start speaking at our meetups so that they could go to other meetups around the country, potentially become speakers at conferences, go to international conferences. Little did we know that we already had a right now in Cardiff. And yeah, so I'd like to introduce Anuska Streets. Hello, how is everybody? All the better for having you on the podcast. And Woo! Oh, made it. <laughs> so excited. <laughs> so Nush, um, it's okay for me to call you Nush to begin with? Oh, yeah. Call me what you like. Yeah, Nush is fine. Great. Anushka, <laughs> would, <you mind? laughs> would you mind giving us a little bit of an intro as to what you do on a day-to-day -day basis? I can certainly try. So I um, am currently the head of platform engineering at Currency Cloud. So Currency Cloud, for those of you who don't know, is a um, cross-border payments organization. So we specialize in kind of FX, payments, collections, and um, and all that kind of jazz and uh, it seems to be going quite well right now and I manage the platform engineering team that um, is attempting to kind of deliver a fairly opinionated platform uh, to our developers to help them kind of remove kind of undifferentiated heavy lifting and um, um, speed up feedback and um, self-serve and all these kind of great words that you hear thrown around around great developer experiences and that's what I'm trying to um, build at Currency Cloud. So that's my day-to-day. -day. Awesome. And so I started by saying that we got to know you by, well, you started coming to the meetup and there's a couple of you from Currency Cloud as well that came along. Mm -hmm. And we quite quickly found out that you were keynoting in Switzerland, I believe. Was it Switzerland? Yeah, well, Basel for the Cloud Foundry 
um, Cloud Foundry Europe Summit. So uh, yeah, I was on a uh, I was on a, a keynote panel there, which is possibly the scariest thing I think I've ever done in my life. But thankfully, um, it, it was a it was a big audience, and uh, but there was a load of lighting, so I couldn't actually see anybody. So <laughs> not only was it the scariest um, 20 minutes of my life, it was also possibly the fastest 20 minutes of my life. It went incredibly quickly um, and it was it seemed to go down OK. But uh, oh, my God. Yeah, um, it was quite, quite challenge at the time. I was on a panel yesterday as well. And it's the first time I've done a remote panel and my heart rate. I looked at my watch afterwards and I was amazed at my heart rate peaking at about 120 as soon as it started. <laughs> so to have that actually in the room and well, it feels so I feel so far away now. And but hopefully we'll be able to get to those experiences soon again. So what so Nish, how did you get started with cloud native technologies as well? How did you initially get into this route? Um, because it's still a relatively new technology. So Yeah, it's um it's a, my career has kind of been a bit meandering, really. I kind of started off as, um, you know, a software engineer back in uh, British Steel in Port Talbot, like 20 blah, 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 years ago. Um, they, yeah, they were, um, they were kind of, they were still green screens, um, you know, 3270 monitors, but, but I had a great 386 um, desktop. So I like to think I was really up there in the cutting edge of technology at that time. Um, I kind of went through, you know, your traditional kind of route of um, software development and then kind of got into project management. And somehow um, at the time, there was an opportunity to kind of become that bridge between the business and uh, the, the techies and the non-techies and kind of explain what was going on. And somehow I managed to get into account management and they ended up moving further and further away from tech and closer and closer to the business, which was fine. Um, but then when I had my daughter 12 years ago, um, it was just too hard. I was kind of, you know, I was doing a lot of traveling and I realized that actually I was really missing the technology and being closer, closer to the kind of um, ones and zeros, as it were. And so I just decided I was going to kind of ditch all of that. And I, I went straight back into just, you know, a job range, a job engineer role at Companies House, which is like the best thing I ever did. It was such good fun. I met some great people and it really refreshed all of my skills and I got the opportunity then to work for a company called Monetize uh, who have since been bought by Fiserv and um, and as time kind of went on there there was a recognition that you know there, there was it was the early days of um, so we were still at this time on you know legacy and monolith you know big ear file being deployed onto tin somewhere in a data center um, but there was this whole recognition around the fact that continuous integration continuous deployment was becoming a really big thing and that, that was kind of the genesis really then that led into things like um, talking about devops and how we can kind of break down silos and how we can um, have much better um, uh, cross-functional um, contribution to how services run in production um, and this was you know it's really really exciting to be part of that and then I was really lucky to be part of um, some work that we did at Monetize to actually move away from that legacy platform and that completely refactor our applications to run natively uh, in the cloud on Cloud Foundry uh, and build a team around providing that platform and um, and that's kind of how I really got into it so I, I am massively passionate about it I'm pass passionate about cloud native I'm really passionate about um, the kind of cultural aspects of it particularly I think um, 
the technology is really interesting and drives some interest, drives some good behaviors but the cultural aspects are more interesting people you know people deliver software at the end of the day um technology you know uh, a lot of this stuff is kind of solved problems and actually a lot of the stuff that we're doing in in our organizations um it's you know unless you're on the cutting edge of quantum computing you when you know we're not kind of breaking a lot of new ground here a lot of these prob a lot of problems that we're trying to solve in 90 percent of software organizations have already been solved you know we're not you know and so part of part of my role is kind of almost a curator of best practice and behaviors and how we can um drive that down into software organizations to become really highly performing um anyway that was a bit of a meandery kind of weavy way around my cloud native journey sounds like an excellent journey <laughs> it's been fun my my you know how my cloud native journey started no do tell one day one day lewis came into the office and said have you heard about docker i was like tell me about it and that's how it all started <laughs> yeah I, I i remember james rawlings from jenkins x waxing lyrical about docker when in its very early days <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Listening to you, Venesh, as well, it's I could relate from that child aspect as well. So when mm -hmm. when we had our first child, prior to that, time was never an issue. I was always staying up late, coding really late, and then I could wake up in the next day, just have a coffee, and I could be ratty, I could be whatever I want. Having a child then caused me how to focus on my time, and time became the biggest asset that I had. Mm -hmm. Like when I was younger. I'd be so bold to say that I was very much financially driven. I wanted to retire by the time I was 30 and quite quickly figured out that wasn't going to happen. But then having a child, it made me have to focus. But then from that is back to the CICD element, which you're discussing there as well, which is a case of, it's about trying to automate. It's, I don't want to have this repeating thing again and again. And so I could definitely link with that there and find it really interesting. Yeah, it's it's about kind of making the most of the time that you have available. And um, so a big driver for me is to try and look at our developer community and think about how we can remove a lot of that kind of undifferentiated heavy lifting, you know, that kind of stuff that you do again and again and again, which just doesn't doesn't actually add any material value at all, but you have to do it. Um, and so how can we and remove that and make and it's you know it's a much um, nicer experience as a developer to feel that what you're doing is actually directly adding value um, and and is a much better use of my time right because as you just said time is just so precious and, and so how can I make sure that what I'm doing is actually you know delivering value ultimately to our to our end customers as quickly as possible how can we get that feedback really quickly it's like a human thing to want, though, right? To create value, to have meaning in the world. To, to yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that that kind of um, what is it? There's the the three things that people want, and they want a kind of autonomy, uh, purpose, and mastery. The, the I, I don't know where that came from, but I read it somewhere, so it must be true. And um, yeah, so that kind of they want to have kind of control over. Um, what they do to some extent, but they also want to feel that they are really good at something. Uh, you know, they can get, get really, really good and excellent at building this software for our customers. And the purpose is about the value then that we deliver to our customers and what that drives. And that's a big part of what we're trying to do as we build our platform at Currency Cloud. You know, the, you know, the code that you mentioned about autonomy, purpose and mastery. 
I actually read that in a fortune cookie once. True story. <laughs> True story. Not up to the and I was, for real. And I was so confused. I was like, fortune cookie with this, what is going on? Yeah, that's probably it, right? It's but it it's it, I think it really resonates. It's true. It's kind of that is what yeah, people no. are after. And, I, I, yeah. It's from uh, that Maslow's needs of hierarchy sort of evolution of your needs as they go up the pyramid, right? Yeah, yeah and I think, uh, and you know, you want what you want to do is be able to kind of provide that um, capability to just kind of, you know, people don't like being told what to do, but people like to have boundaries, right? Yeah. It's like my my daughter, right? She's fiercely independent, but she gets really actually quite antsy and uncomfortable as soon as it gets a bit slack. She needs to know where the line is. And, and I think, and not that we want to treat our software developers like children, because we don't, but, um, you know, it's that whole, people feel much more comfortable um, when they know what, where the boundaries lie and what and the kind of tolerance that is that I can operate within. Um, so it's all, yeah, it's all kind of linked. I treat my child like a software developer. So we have a backlog <laughs> meeting, we review, <laughs> then we go into a two-week sprint. And then, I did a, yeah. a review today with David. He's not, he's not up to his source control, if I'm honest. The commitment <laughs> is just abysmal. Yeah, uh, but Laura... enough reviews on that. It's like... <laughs> And uh, how, how often does Laurie quit his job, Lewis? He hasn't <laughs> been able to hold one down that long. So, <laughs> <laughs> but with Nish, I think straight away I'm already seeing that there's you're very much invested in the people around you. It seems, mm -hmm. and, and talking about the cultural aspects to cloud native. So, what is cloud native anyway? Let's just get this out. What do? <laughs> what, what, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. We'll just get that out of the way, shall we? Uh, well, you know, it, I know it means different things to different people, but perhaps for the purposes of this conversation, it's useful to kind of set some kind of baseline. What? So, cloud being cloud native, and this is, you know, for me, is not about um, kind of where you run your software. So, you know, I just because I run my software in the cloud doesn't make me cloud native, right? Um, but being cloud native is about how you run that software to leverage the capabilities of the cloud. So actually, if you extrapolate that out, you don't actually have to be on the cloud to be cloud native. You could be cloud native and run on prem, right? Absolutely, and, absolutely. It's like, and so, and so, what I want to do is just kind of, you know, that's just separate those two things. It's just, and um, so that's if you think about. And kind of cloud native what's the, the the biggest benefit for me or one of the biggest benefits is that kind of control over um cost and elasticity that's one of the that's one of the biggest benefits that you get from being on the cloud right and and in fact um i don't know if you guys have read the the, the latest state devops report so there's an organization called dora and uh, there's a fantastic um woman called nicole Porsgren who I think that's how you say her name. I do apologize if I got it wrong. Um, but they and they were recently acquired by Google, actually. And every year they run a huge um, uh, questionnaire that gets sent out to hundreds and hundreds of organizations. They get they get thousands of responses um, globally. Um, and they ask questions around kind of um, development and software um, organizational performance and behaviors. And what they're able to do is then they're able to map um certain behaviors and qualities to 
um, the, the type of organization they are, you are. And they kind of bracket these organizations into kind of elite, high performing, medium performing and low performing. And there, there are kind of four main things that they kind of track. They track um, your deployment frequency and they they track how um, your lead time to deployment. So this is kind of your throughput, if you like. And this is how what is your time to value? How long does it take you to get software from um, your laptop or your desktop to production? And, um, and, and, how, and how often are you able to make those changes? And elite organizations are able to do those kind of releases on demand whenever they want. And they're also able, they have a lead time of you know, minutes. These are, these are elite organizations. But then if you balance the throughput, the other side of the throughput coin for me is, st is stability and reliability. You can't have, you know, you can have one without the other, but you shouldn't. Um, and so from the stability point of view, you're looking at a change failure rate. So when I make a change, how often does that cause me to have to take remedial action on my platform? And your, you know, your elite performers are doing that less than kind of 1% of the time. And you've got, um, and then also you've got your um, mean time to recovery. So how long when something does happen, does it take me to restore service? And again, the top companies are able to do that in way, way less than an hour. In fact, most of them, it's, again, it's minutes, right? And what that's a good proxy indicator of is how sticky and frictiony your kind of system is. How easy is it to troubleshoot what's going on? So how, how well do you observe things? Um, and how, um, how easy is it to, again, apply a fix? So I've, I've identified, I've been able to troubleshoot what's wrong, being able to identify that fix, and I've been able to very, very quickly restore service by applying that patch into production very quickly. And so if you look at those four things that drive elite behaviors, what they found um, is a very, very strong causal link between organizations that are elite and organizations that um, display the, the main kind of characteristics of what NIST kind of highlight as being the main kind of attributes of being cloud native. And what NIST says is basically, you know, if you can be on demand, so if you can provide your um, resources on, in an on-demand frictionless way, if you can then make them available through multiple channels, if you can pool your resources, and um, if you can kind of accurately measure and be able to forecast requirements and need, and importantly, if you can be rapidly elastic right so if you're able to kind of scale up and scale down really quickly and so um all you know you throw all of that into the mix um when you're, you're cloud native when you're if you're building cloud native software you're kind of thinking about things that are highly scalable um are able to react to the way that cloud actually works which is you know there's an expectation that as I'm scaling up and down and I'm on this kind of ever-changing um, architectural base, things are going to disappear beneath me. So there's an expectation that things are not always going to be there. So I'm, I'm building things that are horizontally scalable, both up and down. I'm able to be resilient to failure and I'm able to actually, when I want to restart things, I'm able to start really quickly. And that's why... Um, you know, the, the difference between just porting your service from being on-prem to on-cloud doesn't make you cloud native because typically those kind of systems that are typically kind of quite monolithic 
um, and don't respond well to, to that kind of key elasticity um, um, me kind of measure, if you like, that ability to be able to scale up and down really quickly. They really struggle with that typically, not always. And uh, there's a lady called Cornelia Davis, and who's also like, she's amazing. Uh, she's currently the CTO of Weaveworks, but she did spend a lot of her career at Pivotal. Um, and she wrote a book called uh, Cloud Native Patterns, Designing Change Torrent Software. And what I really like is her definition of what cloud native software is, because it really resonates. It's, it's, and I've written it down because I didn't want to get it wrong um, and be done for um, misquoting her. But she says that cloud native software is highly distributed and operated in a constantly changing environment, which itself is constantly changing. So um, I think that's, for me, certainly, that's a really useful um, hook to hang um, kind of all my thinking off. It's like my North Star. Um, because if I can build down, you know, if I can build down from that, you know, well, of course, we know that our apps are changing. Our apps are changing all the time. Otherwise, what's the point of our existence? Either we're either creating new features or we're fixing things that have gone wrong. We also know, as we've just said, that our infrastructure underneath us is constantly changing. Things are up, things are down. We are patching, we are upgrading, we are enhancing. Things are changing all the time. And then if we say that we're going to be elastic and we're going to be able to... Um, kind of be able to deliver that kind of um, scale uh, on demand, then really we need to have uh, be componentized and have a number of components that are highly distributed um, and allow that kind of autonomous delivery. Um, and so it, that one sentence to me kind of helps trickle down and drive all, all of the things that we need to be thinking about when we're cloud native. There. <laughs> <laughs> Zip. Mic drop. Mic, mic drop and let's go. <laughs> so with everything that you've said that I can definitely resonate with those points that you're mentioning. And it's the same reasons why I'm invested in this technology. I feel a lot more comfortable this way than it was the way that when I started my career, the way that we were doing things, expecting to think, have things up 100% of the time. Yeah. And it was a case of, downtime was going to happen at 2 a.m. or 3 a.m., which meant that someone who was me had to stay up and do this. But with your position being the head, so you are like you 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 need to have people to follow you with this. You need to get people invested to say this is the technology we're going to be doing. Yep. As well as that, it's also connecting to the people who are trying to explain to them why we want this technology. How do you manage that? How, how it, it it's it's hard right and i'm not going to you know i'm not going to sit here and tell you that um you know i you can just walk into an organization that's used to working one way and just go right um do this as chuck everything away so what you have to do you just have to find your mavens really so you find your um every in every organization there are um folks who um who are kind of already on the bus if you like are already starting to think about this stuff and actually quite often and particularly with the case with Currency Cloud, um, they were already very much on that journey anyway, right? So it's not like I'm I'm coming in and you know completely tipping up um, what we were doing. Um, it's just some you know um, again, it's about that um, setting um, the north stars, right? It's about setting that direction and being absolutely clear about where we're going, and that the and folks have the support 
uh, they need to be able to you know here's the boundaries right this is what we're talking about these are the this is the place that we want to go um and just getting people on board um with that but it is you know there are within the organization uh, any or any organization you're going to have people who um are really really on board and people who are skeptics and that's okay actually um not you know and actually i really enjoy being challenged about this stuff because i i appreciate that at times i may come across as being slightly dogmatic about some of this stuff because you know and and, and i've got to be really careful that um that with our development community we're not just you know seen as being these people who come in and read a load of books and just say you know here you go um this is what the book says please get on with it so what i like to do is try and um uh, show by doing um and so to actually demonstrate you know maybe um try to find some proofs of concepts and show how we can move forward um by adopting some of these newer strategies and then and importantly measure as well i think um and and i'm going back to those dora metrics kind of mean time to failure and and ch sorry change failure rate mean time to recovery uh, deployment frequency and deployment lead time those four metrics are really really powerful and actually are the kind of metrics that you can communicate across the entire organization you can you can read you, you know right from the chief exec and um, right down to you know operations or salespeople can reason about those um reason about those and see if we're shifting the dial on those or not and that helps us to show you know that we're actually moving forward uh, but it's a it's a constant work it, it you know it's a constant um constant communication and that ultra transparency around where we're going right it's kind of you can't um you can't communicate too much i don't think in these kind of instances so it's you know this is where we're going this is why we're going here do you understand how you know um how can i help you how what support do you need and i think a lot of my team's role is actually that developer advocacy role of yeah. You know we're kind of we're asking you to kind of change the way you work a little bit this is why and actually we're not just going to drop that on you we're going to say this is why we're asking you to do it and moreover we're going to provide you with support to help you understand why we're going to do that and work with you to perhaps implement some examples and then support you as you kind of as we kind of let the let the training wheels off I was going to ask um, how how do you deal with the sort of people the opposite end of the people that are on the bus the people that are very very resistant to change but I guess yeah. while I had that idea you answered the question right by like showing the proof is in the pudding and I think like, that, yeah I think that's the thing is the proof is very much in the pudding and I think it's and and you know and I have to and I have had this feedback and I have to take it on board right that I do um you know I, it can potentially come across that I'm kind of um this dogmatic kind of approach and um, because of but the part of the reason why I'm so passionate about it is because I've seen it work and I've been part of making it work so it's kind of when, when, when you've seen it and you know it works and you've seen the benefits it's kind of like it's like hey everybody everybody drink the Kool-Aid because the Kool-Aid <laughs> is lush right once you're drinking this it's like you know it's like it's like a cult of devops yeah it is it's like it's the best high ever you'll be delivering software that's delighting your customers and you're not going to be called out you know at two o'clock in the morning to fix these services because they're going to be you know throughput and stability they're going to be amazing and so and that and that's why i think so you know and i am very aware that um you know that i can't just be this kind of 
you know, dictator, dictatorial, do it my way. It's kind of, it's, you've got to win hearts and minds. Um, and it's, and it's not something that you do overnight. This is a, um, this is a, uh, this is a process and actually um, it's, it's a continual process. It changes hard, right? For yeah. the human condition, changes hard whichever way you look at it. And that's kind of the thing that you have to adapt to is be ready for change, be nimble, be agile. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and, and you know, the one thing that's constant is change in our, in our, in our business. I was looking at the um, Cloud, Native, um, Cloud Native Computing Foundation um, kind of, uh, not the roadmap, the, oh, what, what's the landscape. thing? That, yeah, yeah, the landscape. landscape. That's it. And I was just like, oh my god! I I, <laughs> I, I, I looked at it. I, I looked at it about six months ago, and I was like, oh my god! Then, and I and it's only it's only six months later, and it's like, what's what's this? What what are all these other little boxes that have been added since? It's like I genuinely think we're in we're in we're in a period now where, you know, it's it's kind of worse because they're all really good as well. It's not like. <laughs> You, you kind of want them. I know it's like, it, and that's another that's another challenge, right? In this landscape of such rich choice, how do you, um, how do you, you know, where do you pin your tail on the donkey, right? It's like which one do you go for? Because you know, there's an there's an inherent risk in everything that you do, um, and I, you know, that that's just part of what we do. Is I think part of it is just managing that a little bit, and. Um, there, there. I know that you say there were fairly obvious ones, but you know we've gone. We have. A, we are Kubernetes house now. We've moved. We're uh, migrating all of our uh, platforms onto Kubernetes, um, and uh, you know, but that comes with its own set of challenges, right? Because and, and as a platform engineering team, Kubernetes is great, but it's not a platform. It's I don't know what it is. Something between something between a platform. And platform I, for creating platforms. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Excuse yeah. the. Pun. It was good. Did you see Kelsey Hightower tweeted this morning? Actually, um, yeah. he he said, ah, oh, he's like, he's gonna oh. he's gonna make a reality TV show, and uh, I think he said he will set up every single project in the Cloud Native Computing Foundation, and just like leave some surprise eggs here and there. I think that's what he said. I'm paraphrasing. That's exactly. That's not what he said, but I'm paraphrasing. I think. I, I think that. I don't know if I saw that one, but the one I saw was when he said, oh, "You know, you need a platform." So, right, you're going to need. Kubernetes, oh yeah, that one. Yeah, yeah. Docker, and then like a list of about fifteen other things. Oh, and you'll need people and uh, glue. Bring lots of glue. <laughs> <laughs> lots of YAML and glue. <laughs> yeah, and and he, he's dead right. It's hard. I think he he was referencing it as the concept of A24Z, just for, for the number of things that you require. So with <laughs> Kubernetes, the 8 stands for the number of letters between K and S. As soon as I saw that, I thought, you need a new language. There's lots more in there <laughs> than there is. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have a question for you, Nush. So you know, I, you know, the cloud native landscape is really difficult for people to get their head around, especially people who are new. And, uh, you know, you've you've had experience of working in cloud native uh, for quite a while. And when you head over to that landscape, you're like, you know, I need a database, a cloud native database. Yeah. And when you head over to that landscape and you see there's like 65 million of those. Um, so how does Nush pick a product for her so, solution? Well, first of all, Nush doesn't pick a product okay. in isolation. Um, right. So we've got, you know, the team, I've got a really super talented team who I work with. And, um, and also I, I am actually, 
I wouldn't say I'm risk averse. I'm cer- I'm certainly not a um, I, I'm not a super super aggressive early adopter of stuff, right? That's not to say I'm a laggard either, but you know, I, I kind of I like to see a little bit of um, chat in the community. So you know, there's a list of there are a list of criteria that I'm looking at when I'm looking at new um, new tools and or new software to help us with our delivery. Um, it's got to be more than just something new to play with, right? So you know, fundamentally, what what problem is it solving, um, and can we solve it? Um, can we solve ninety or ninety five percent of it with what we've already got, right? Because what I'm trying to do is reduce cognitive overhead on not only the developers who are using the platform, but the folks who are operating that platform, right? You know, so if we've got eleventy billion things that we're trying to operate and maintain, um, that actually sometimes having something that's ninety percent okay and you have to work around kind of ten percent of the nagery use cases, but the the trade-off is that you actually only have you have one less thing to have to manage. In your estate then i'm going to go for that as an approach more likely um but also things like what's the community like right so i'm looking at you know what's the chat around this what's the community support for this Who, who's contributing to it um and that you know um and, and also can i hire for it right if i if i'm selecting this tool that only three people in the country know how to do anything with then um I'm onto a bit of a loser, frankly. You know, again, um, one of the words I say a lot to my teams, and they probably get really head up with me saying it, but I talk uh, sustainability. Is it sustainable? Can we operate it? Can we maintain it? You know, because quite often, and it, it's the same with tool selection, it's the same with software development. Actually implementing a new tool at, at Greenfield or writing a new piece of software greenfield is actually quite easy it's not that hard you know anyone anyone can stand up a kubernetes cluster anyone can um well okay within reason anyone um, <laughs> <laughs> more or less right it's like you stand up a kubernetes cluster and you you know you whack istio on top of it and you're like yeah it's great now how do i actually sustainably operate and maintain that for the rest of its life uh, and, and it's it's kind of like you know anyone can anyone can write that software anyone can install that software that is but that is the easy bit and it's probably only about ten percent of the investment that you're making in that tool. In fact, it's probably less than that, right? If you, you if you imagine you're keeping your you you know you we've had Kubernetes now in uh, production for probably about a year, um, you know, and it'll put and it, I imagine it will be there for several more years right so the actual work to initially stand that cluster up and start deploying services to it over the lifetime of that is tiny yeah uh and so you know we have to be able to sustainably operate maintain patch you know upgrade um enhance you know um add you know um if we've got plugins or if there are other things that we want to do with it change those and, and do that in an automated sane sustainable way um so yeah it's um all of those things come into my head when we're looking at um kind of new software uh, on the either from, uh, from anywhere or from the cncf kind of landscape oh that's excellent i think that's really good advice i'm gonna have to write it down for my, <laughs> for my own selection <laughs> i'll do a blog so- 
you, so you mentioned I was just going to ask one thing in there. So you talked about uh, briefly. You mentioned cognitive load. Yeah. And um, why is it important to manage that? Because I think as developers, we're quite bad at mm. managing cognitive load. But maybe can maybe you can talk about why is it important? What people can do practically to reduce that load? Yeah, I got um, I got really into this um, a few months ago. Um, because I was, I was just beginning to. I, th I think it was probably triggered actually by um, looking at the CNCF landscape, because <laughs> I was just like, oh my god, how how am I supposed to, you know, reason about all of this stuff? And then you start thinking about. So not I'm reasoning about that, and then I'm looking at my software and all of the kind of things I've got to do, um, and also I, it's not just how I'm going to enhance my software or change my software. It's all the kind of peripheral stuff I've got to do around the edge. And by the way, I've also got product services in production that are operating and um, potentially um, we've got incidents or, you know, um, problems or war. And then people walking up. Hey, if you've got a minute, Noosh, just need to um, ask you about, you know, this. And you're just like, oh, my God, this is good. So I started reading a load of kind of academic papers and stuff about it and got into it and. And I was actually um, really surprised of the, the impact on your physical um, health that um, this kind of this tendency that we have to overload our brains with multiple sources of information has. It actually, um, you know, there are papers out there and they'll tell you that, um, you know, peer reviewed papers that will show that, you know, high instances of kind of headache and sleeplessness, um, general unwell, general feelings of being unwell are linked directly to the just the sheer amount of stuff that we have to hold in our brain at any one time to do anything. So that kind of led me to thinking about how that relates to platform engineering, right? And how um, I'm a big fan of um, you know opinionated platforms. I'm a Cloud Foundry ambassador. I'm very proud to be a Cloud Foundry ambassador for that reason, right? Because Cloud Foundry has worked relentlessly to um, to provide a, an environment where developers can just write some code and CF push and it just, you know, what is it? I'm going to wrap it up into a droplet. I'm going to deploy it and get on with it. And you just crack on and write your code. And now I appreciate that that approach isn't um, for everyone, you know, and, and, and it's not for everybody, every organization, right? But a kind of opinionated platform like that Will work again. I go back to my kind of 90-10 rule. It will work for 90% of your use cases. And when you're looking at 90% of your use cases, um, the benefits of having that kind of um, right, I'm a developer. I I want to have a consistent way to create my project. I want to have a consistent way to test my project. I want to have a consistent way to expose um, backing services. Like, how do I persist data? How do I cache data? How do I discover my service? How do I log? How do I um, set up all my networking and DNS and all that kind of stuff? All that kind of stuff you have to do for every single service, regardless. As a developer, I just I shouldn't care. I shouldn't I shouldn't care about this stuff, right? I just want to write code that is going to um, deliver value to my customers. And so, when you have an opinionated platform, and actually as a, as a fairly small company, I think having an opinionated platform um, is really powerful um, because then your whole organization can feed into that kind of 
framework and be able to improve it collectively and collaboratively. I think if you're if you're a Netflix or you're Spotify, then I think the rules the rules around you know oh that kind of um, typical kind of microservice approach where you know well you know it's a microservice it's got its own contract and therefore it could you know in theory it can be written in anything all right it's just an api it's like well yeah you can do that if you've got the if you've got the bulk behind you to support managing you know 15 different ways to patch and upgrade and test and pipeline that kind of code when you're any kind of normal reasonable sized organization uh, the overhead of that is huge um, and so actually kind of whittling that down to one to a handful of um, kind of frameworks, um, I think, is, is really beneficial. And what that does is you, you kind of provide then you provide your developers with a menu, a restricted menu of like, you know, you reduce choice. Right. And choice actually removes stress. <laughs> it's like I did my um, I remember when I did my extension. I remember towards the end I got. Um, kind of fatigue just by the sheer amount of choices that I was having to make. It's like, what colour do, what colour do you want your tiles? Um, <laughs> do you want them with this finish or that finish? What kind of grout do you want? It's like, I don't know. I just want tiles. <laughs> what colour <laughs> handle do you want? Do you want a brush? So do you want a mat? What, what do you want? Yeah. Didn't you guys find that right now at the moment though, at home, when your kids are asking you? What what what's for tea while you're in the in that cognitive load of everything in your head right now? It's like boom. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. So it's like I do think that that kind of um, you know that so, and I don't think it stops um, developers from being creative or innovative either. You know, um, but what they what it does is it kind of tilts. Um, developers from being creative and innovative, you know, specifically around, oh, let's get into the guts of Kubernetes and work out how we can make Istio do some cool stuff. It's like, no, now I'm starting to think about how I can be innovative and creative for my customers, because that's my goal now. I'm, I'm just thinking about how can I get value to my customers as quickly and securely and as stably as possible, and how can I delight them? So what are the things, you know, so now I'm free from all of this guff that I normally have to do. Now I can really think about how we do some really cool stuff for our customers. So it's still a creative process that it doesn't go away. It's just shifting that creative thought process towards our customers and away from kind of this valueless toil that we end up with teams doing. So, so basically you're saying that we should strip away options on the plate to in order to reduce the cognitive load a little bit perhaps yeah yeah where, where that works for your organization right and yeah. i'm not you know it's not going to work for every organization mm -hmm. but i think it will work you know it should work for kind of 90 percent of the time mm -hmm. and if you look at monzo for example yeah. monzo have got like 1600 <laughs> microservices and they are all written in golang and they have got and they all yeah. follow the same you know the same library process the same structure they're all on the set they've basically written their own platform on top of kubernetes right. um uh, and that and they've done that for exactly those reasons you know if you think about um onboarding I, you know i want to onboard new team members we now have a really consistent way you know and i look at project a and i'm going to feel pretty comfortable when i go to project b because it's going to be structured the same it's going to have the same 
you know, same way of working. It's going to have the same pipeline. It's going to, you know, same path to production, same way to test it, same way to log stuff, same way to persist stuff. You know, it's going to be so in terms of being able to be more flexible with your resources and also more flexible when you onboard new people. Um, and how you can more, more quickly get um, our, our, our new folks up to speed and providing value from, you know, we should be able to commit on day one, right? That's the dream. <laughs> no, that's fair. We had uh, Sam Newman come to the meetup a while back, and in one of his talks he says about when you're enclosed in this environment, it's up to you if you're in a jail cell or if you're in a walled garden. So mm. it's up to you if you just see bars or if you see that you've got a swimming pool, you've got a gin and tonic. I'm going to steal that. <laughs> <laughs> I am stealing that. <laughs> but it, you can, to bring it back to today, we're all in our homes because we've been told to stay at home. And that message of staying at home, it's a case of, well, are you empowered within your home? And yeah. to me, I am. I know I'm safe mm -hmm. here. And yeah. if I go outside, I'm more concerned. Yeah. Relating that back to this developer platform, it's over the last couple of years, I've now seen that instead of trying to be this full stack developer, instead of being this rock star who knows everything, instead of mm -hmm. having this person who has a CV where you give yourself like your own ratings out of 10, how good you are at different languages and such, it's changing. You're good at a couple of things. You can't do everything. If you're trying to do everything, that's where it's going to go wrong. You're going outside. It's You've got so many more risks coming to you. And through what you're saying with what you're doing at Currently Cloud, having this ultra transparency as well, and yeah. hearing you say it's just spinning up a Kubernetes cluster and just saying that, I know that some people have a fear, yeah. but it sounds that you are empowering the people around you. You are empowering the people with your... Do you have knowledge sharing within Currency Cloud? Do you help people? Do you in yeah. is there so, some and, and, that's, and that's been a big part of the work that we've been doing with our cloud platform engineering team, right? It's all about that. I, I kind of touched on our um, developer advocacy, but it's about really reaching out to that developer community and um, helping, uh, you know, and attacking, you know, bits at a time. Uh, we've recently driven um, an initiative to move to trunk-based development, for example, on, on some of our projects, which were still um, uh, not on trunk-based development. And so, uh, you know, a lot of them, as the ones that we've moved that migrated over to Kubernetes are all um, nicely on trunk-based, but there were a few that were kind of straggling. And we were able to demonstrate the problems with that, and um, the, the kind of friction points with that. And then, but importantly, not just say fix it, was actually to work with them to fix it, you know, and actually, you know, go through it with them and hold their hand, you know, the entire way through and, and you know, and still and, and provide ongoing support after the fact as well. It's not, you know, don't kind of fix and ditch. This is why I was so excited when I met you because Everything that you're saying is what I've always wanted from a job, from a career. And a couple of years ago, I was terrified that I didn't have that available to me here. I, I've alluded to my family. That's why I had to stay focused around South Wales because I wanted to be around my family. And the roles that I was going into, they were not this. They were the cognitive load that I had on me. It was huge. It burned me out so many times. And seeing you, yeah. It's amazing just to see what you're doing and the, the community and what you're building within Cardiff is phenomenal. And both on a technical level and a culture basis, it's something that we're really proud of. Yeah, it's like, oh, I'm really proud too. And I think that um, 
but that you know let's be clear the work's not done and and is never done right it's kind of um you know i i i think it's what's quite interesting i've seen loads of people speak from loads of different organizations and organizations who i respect highly so i've seen you know speakers from netflix speakers from spotify speakers from google amazon you know um monzo and you think in, in they give you this presentation you go oh my god they're so amazing i would love to work for that organization and then you go and have a beer with them and they and they're like yeah but you know we're not perfect and and i would just qualify everything i've said this evening with exactly that caveat right we're not perfect we're on the we're on i'm gonna i'm gonna use the j word we're on the journey right and um thanks. don't stop believe <laughs> I can't find the sound on the soundboard where we have all the yeah. arms go off and say you've won the prize for mentioning the journey. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Please continue on your journey. Exactly. But it's kind of, you know, so, you know, I, I wouldn't want, we're not in this kind of utopia of perfection, but um, what's important to me is that we are definitely um, on the right, was very, very much on the right path and feeling really good about where we're at right now and and that's really for me personally is really motivating when you and, and we talked about shifting the dial and starting to see those dials shift is just oh that's pretty cool and it's kind of makes you feel good makes you want to get up in the morning and do it again yeah it it's always really welcoming when you have that feeling of that role where it is a case that you want to be there but equally that you know you can leave it as well where it's a case of I think I've mentioned a couple of times before the case of I was in a place where I had two mobile phones on me and a laptop wherever I went just in case. And yeah. if yeah, if you don't look after yourself, then well, it's not going to work out well. And then ultimately, it works its way up. Mm -hmm. So we're back. Thank you for joining us today. We're with Anushka Streets, and we're talking pretty much everything cloud native. So Nush, just before the break. We were talking about a couple of things, and you said that you started in Port Talbot with the Steelworks. And I've just remembered that I'm seeing more and more people within the South Wales tech community who've started around the Steelworks um, mm. in Port Talbot, and now they're pushing forward with these technologies. Yeah. And also the way that you're mentioning about how you're making these decisions, how, you, how you're pushing, how you getting change ha happening. Are you seeing any cycles starting to repeat themselves again? Yeah, it, it, it's like everything, right? I remember. Um, so there was a there was a real um, zeitgeist, wasn't there, for off uh, for off uh, offshoring everything? It's like everything everything's going to go offshore. We we'll send it all to uh, we we'll send it all out to to India, and then we and then we're gonna, now we're going to nearshore it. So then we're going to put it in kind of Poland, and uh, and and then now it's pretty much starting to come back because people are realizing that actually that. Um, well, it's either starting to come back or we're starting to go fully remote as well, which is another really interesting. And, and actually now we are all completely at the moment, all remote, right? Everybody, <laughs> everybody is working away, working from home, um, which is, I actually think is going to drive some really interesting changes in behavior when this is all over, but that's probably a conversation for another day. Um, but um, yeah, the industry is, um, and, and as has always been um, quite cyclical. I mean, if I look at, um so there were kind of two questions there i think the the what i'm seeing in south wales and a number of people who's kind of started their careers in uh, british steel i actually think that was related mainly to uh, the fact that they had a really great graduate program back in the 90s um which is, is almost kind of uh, which are now sorry um, coming back 
right? So this is another kind of cyclical thing because, um, so yeah, British Steel, and I think there were a few other organizations that were would have, you know, very large graduate intakes every year um, from the local universities. So from the University of Glamorgan, which is now the University of South Wales, um, and from uh, Swansea and from Cardiff, they would take either sandwich placements or big graduate intakes, which they would then invest in, um, who would then become um, software engineers. Um, and then that dropped off. Um, you know, that I saw over the kind of the 2000s and the and the late kind of 2010 and the early 2010, sorry, that kind of investment in graduates kind of really fell off a cliff and um, recruitment kind of went very much into um, the people who are already in the, you know, fishing from a fishing from a pond. And if you know all of the job specs, are, we need a senior senior engineer, you know, for everyone, you know, senior engineer. And now I think um, there's just the demand is outstripping supply quite significantly. And I think there are. Um, and then, so as a result of that, there are a few drivers that now we're starting to see creation again of graduate schemes and of um, graduate intakes. And so that's kind of one of the kind of the cyclical features of our kind of environment that I'm seeing. And then on the kind of monolith side, um, yes. Um, so there's a quite a, um, a heated debate on the online kind of Twitterverse at the moment regarding kind of monolith versus microservice. But I think that's kind of, uh, I don't think, and, and Kelsey T Hightower and even Sam Newman appear on the, you know, if you just read what they're saying, they appear to be kind of rolling back on this whole you know, microservice thing, but that's not what they're saying at all, right? What they're actually saying is that, um, you know, not everything is appropriate um, to be split into microservices. And actually, sometimes we over-optimize too quickly to microservices. And actually, we're better off understanding um, once we have a mic, if we've got a, a monolith that's that's running and is actually running okay, um, uh, there are ways through modularization, etc., that you can still kind of break that out into modules, right, to allow a reasonably autonomous kind of development um, pipeline. And what that what they're saying is, take this opportunity to um, assess where your bound, where, really where your bounded contexts are, because what we quite often see is um, you'll take um, a monolith and we'll turn it into, I'll put air quotes here, microservices. But actually what you do is you take what look like on the face of it to be, um, you know, areas that are well bounded and turn them into your microservices. But then only when you do that, you realize that's not quite right. That's that that actually isn't the right bound. That's not the right context for that service. And you end up either having to rewrite or significantly refactor later. And I think that's the point that they're getting at. They're not anti microservices. What they're saying is it's about um, doing it at the right time and actually taking the time up front to think about how you do that and how you split that in a, in a, in a way that makes sense. And it means that you can genuinely because what we're finding and I've seen it twice in my career where we've kind of extracted out um, from a monolith and just ended up with a distributed monolith. That's my favorite turn of phrase, that is, for people who try to do microservices. Yeah. And there's lots of it out there. I've seen lots of it. Yeah. And and so you've got all of the <laughs> you've got all of the pain of a monolith. <laughs> and none of the benefits. <laughs> and, and and you've got all of and then you've got additional headache of now trying to manage like 15 distributed things instead of one 
So, you know, and that to me, when you actually read down through the hyperbole and the and the kind of noise of, you know, oh, Kelsey Hightower is saying bring back the monolith. It's like, no, dig down, dig down for what they're actually saying. Um, and, and, and the same with Sam Newman is not saying no to microservices and we're going to go right back to the monolith is saying let's do it properly folks i what i'm finding nowadays is and it's again is from lessons which i've had from experience in life and i think it resonates a little bit when you've talked about graduate programs and also senior roles and so forth the experience that i've got in life is is i am who i am i am what i am if I try to be anything different, then it's not going to work out. And so if you've got a monolith, you've got a monolith. Don't try to say you've got a microservice. Don't try to do this. And I guess that's the difference because, especially with the technologies that we have today, when they're but a couple of months old or a couple of years old, we have to make educated decisions as to what we're going to do. And those educated decisions don't come from going to university necessarily, it comes from previous experience. Mm -hmm. That's not to say whatsoever that someone who's graduated is any less of anyone who's in a senior role, but equally, I think, but again, I think this comes down to this knowledge sharing. It's a case of when you do have this transparent communication, when you can see why these decisions are being made and you can learn from them. I think that helps continue this going forward. Yeah, it's all about context and having that shared context and understanding about why we're doing something and not, there's that whole, you know, that whole um, knowledge is power thing, which is very 1990s, you know, in that decentralized command and control, which is actually really demotivating. Instead, um, Let's think about the people who are closest to the problem are actually the people who are best set to fix that problem. Um, and so what I think leadership's role is, is to set clear direction, clear kind of um, principles around and, and expectations. And then, you know, once you've got that, then teams are able to have that shared context and to, you know, that's that's share everything. That's share what are off. What are our forecasts um, as a business? What are our forecasts? What are our who are our main customers? What are our what are our customers' main pain points? What feedback are we getting from our customers? What incidents did we have? What are the root causes of those incidents? Share the post implementation, the post incident reviews. You know, just everything. Share, 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 share. And then these teams then all have the same context. They're all pointing in the same direction, working to the same principles. And now you've got really smart people, because let's face it, we all work with some very, very clever people who understand their bit of the system better than anybody else. And they are able to make the right decision based on those principles, what they need to do to fix it or to improve it or to add new features. If it isn't already apparent, if you're listening to this in the future, uh, I, you probably still remember it, but the coronavirus, we're during that time. That's why we're seeing a lot. We're all based at home at this moment in time. I saw one of those one of those lovely tweets that said, what led your digital transformation, your CTO, your CEO, or coronavirus? <laughs> uh, already talking to you today, Currency Cloud, seemed, it, it sounds like you're in a good place where mm -hmm. you're able to transition quite well. Now, mm -hmm. you've got currency in your title as well of Currency Cloud. Actually, come to think of it, currency cloud, that's a kind of scary thing, <laughs> having currency up on cloud. Like, cl the cloud's not safe. Yeah. And 
how do you overcome these hurdles? How do you how do you solve that problem? Yeah, it's it's, it's one of those. Um, so that comes down again to um, good platform good platform engineering, and again strong principles. And one of them is so security. So we we're working really hard to shift security left, right? And what that means is having security baked in right from the get-go so with you know, threat model how are we going to threat model um what we're going to do um right from the start but also thinking about how we build um a secure path to production um in a fully automated way right and now so traditionally auditors have been these folks who've come in and they've expected this whole segregation of duties and um you know you can't you can't do um you know one person has to do it another person has to review it and sign it off and there's all these gates before you can do anything but actually um what i've seen in my experience certainly over the last couple of years has been um a real effort uh, by the auditing community to get on board and understand cloud um, and i think it's helped that nist in particular have been um so vocal and involved with what cloud computing is and what it looks like and also that whole um thing that if i do something um in a pipeline that is being done in a scripted um, um program programmatical way is that even a word whatever um in a in a scripted manner um it means that uh which is then in code um audited um it's all it is kind of checked in it's being done by a um a system user so somebody can't log in and do that thing themselves it's it's actually better right so what we find is you know we're able to um, pull out much easier reporting we're able to lock it down just to this one system account you know we're able to fully audit any change to the pipeline which goes through the same code review standards that our code goes through so it gets checked into git it gets reviewed by at least two people and it goes through a pipeline right like every other bit of code and so um the story that we're starting to tell to the auditors is actually one where not while we don't have traditional segregation of duties anymore actually it's better and uh, i think more and more people um and more and more more and more folks in the auditing community are kind of on board with that these days so it can be done i won't have it that people tell me that you can't have automated pipelines and an automated path to production just because you're in a highly regulated business you, the, that, the, the, that cannot stand so this is that's that's your way of saying fight me right so yeah, say, fight bring me it bring it bring it yeah. <laughs> so the right we're into our formulaic questions that we ask all of our guests although we got a, we got a couple of new ones yeah. um so if you could go back and give young nush a single piece of advice what would it be okay um so young noosh when she was in her early 20s as a software engineer used to get just so um scared and frustrated when there'd be some kind of production incident and you know and you think i i i'm not i'm not just not going to be able to fix this it's just too hard it's overwhelming and actually every single time it got fixed um and so now as a older more experienced mature person um, when such things happen i'm actually much more relaxed about it that's not to say i'm um you know uh, uh, kind of 
don't care because you know if we've got a production incident i absolutely want to fix that as soon as possible but i'm also not going to panic about the fact that it's not fixable because everything is everything ultimately is fixable and i'm just much more sanguine about these things now and i think we're much more clear-headed when these things happen sorry i should have said younger not young sorry younger no it's fine <laughs> um so what do you think the latest trends in tech are going to be in 12 months time i have a feeling you've got a big opinion about this yeah i think um i, I kind of going back to the kind of platform stuff i think more and more we're going to see the, the, the guts and the nuts and bolts of Kubernetes abstracted away uh, from us. I'm really excited about the work that's going on with the cloud native build packs. I think um, the, there's some really interesting stuff that's going on there. Um, I think that um, kind of VMware Tanzu and the whole, um, and actually now Cloud Foundry, um, I think uh, very soon launching their, um, that, uh, the, well, in fact, they already have launched it in beta, I believe, but the GA release is out shortly for um, running Cloud Foundry application runtime on top of Kubernetes. So um, that's kind of giving you the, that gives you the best of both worlds, right? This whole, I want my, I want my Cloud Foundry developer experience, but I want to run it on Kubernetes as my orchestrator. Um, so that's really, really exciting. And I think we're going to see more and more of that kind of ab abstraction. Um, and I think there'll be more and more tooling to improve the developer experience on top of Kubernetes, because I don't know about you, but a gazillion lads of YAML are not my idea of fun. No comment. <laughs> I, I, I think I saw yesterday on day two IQ's um, version of a, a remote cloud, cloud native that they were showing off uh, Cloud Foundry on Kubernetes. So I think it was shown off yesterday. Mm. So, Nush, I'll be honest, I look up to you, and you're almost, let's say, a hero to me. But each hero has their own kryptonite. Oh. For all our strengths, we do have our weaknesses. And yeah. as a community, I think it's really important that we show people that even though we, we're we're doing these amazing things, there are some things that we still find uncomfortable, we still find challenging. It isn't as polished as the presentations that we give to people. It does sometimes toil behind a screen. Is there a weakness that you have? Yeah, lots. That's a whole separate podcast. That's for the after podcast. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I think um, I, I tell you, if you talk to my husband, right, he'll tell you that one of my biggest faults is my um inability to stay present sometimes with home stuff and and i'm and i'm not saying you know and that's not a you know you get these interview questions like what's your biggest weakness and saying like, my biggest weakness is i'm perfectionist uh, <laughs> i was it, hoping you're gonna say that, that, that would have been because it's not that because it's i genuinely think that is a problem it is it is it is not it's not a badge of honor that i'm you know that my head is not at home when it needs to be at home right and so um i and i'm i'm a work in progress on that um and it and i kind of go through peaks and troughs of it and sometimes my husband has to correct me so he'll go you're doing it you know i'll, I'll work i'll work really really hard on it and then he'll be like you're doing it again <laughs> what did i just say <laughs> I was just like 
I don't know, something about the garden. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, uh, I, and I do, and it's one of the things I uh, talk about a lot, you know, I go back to this whole sustainability thing again. And um, one of the things I'm really keen on is trying to make sure that the teams uh, take enough breaks. And this, this whole um, coronavirus thing and us all working from home is actually really challenging from that point of view, because now we have no delineation, right? Our commute is 30 seconds, um, you know, and, and then, you know, I'm done. And it's like, I'm, I'm not actually done. You know, it's like, it's still here. My office is right here. And I've just got that little thing that I'm just going to finish off. And then you end up spending another hour and a half fiddling with other stuff. And in the meantime, you know, my husband's in the lounge in, with, with my daughter. And I'm like, why am I doing it? In fact, I did it last night. They were watching telly, watching some rubbish. I could hear them laughing. And it was, and I'm just like, and I'm still working. And I'm like, no, <laughs> this is this is not right. <laughs> I've got to stop that. And that's a really good point as well, because recently speaking to people who were working remotely prior to all this, and trying to get hint, like tips and tricks as to how to work, work remotely. Even they're in a tough position right now because we've all got this chaos all happening mm -hmm. around us. And there is lots of things that can take your attention away quite quickly. Mm -hmm. And people aren't used to having their family in the, at home as well whilst they work. So there's so many aspects to that. But yeah, I can completely relate to that. It's I get stuck in a moment. And yeah. equally as much as I get stuck in a moment with work, I get stuck in a moment with family as well. I really wish I could manage my time better. I wish I could get more focused and there. So thank you for that, Nash. Thank you ever so much. Cool. So I, I hope you're ready for these questions. All right. You know, right. linking up. Right. So uh, you got a few questions here. So we'll start with this one first. If there's one thing tech related you could take to a desert island, what would it be? So it wouldn't be my phone because as much as I love it, and spend a lot of time on it. Actually, if I'm going to spend my, if I've got some time, am I there forever, or am I just there for a, a little, a little amount of time? You, you, you're there for for a while, right? So it's not I, like it's not like a you know return ticket, day return ticket. Is it longer than that? I'm wait. It's like it's like uh, Tom Hanks in um, Castaway. Castaway right? Right? Yeah. Maybe, like, maybe we could do something special for this one. So we maybe we could just say it's a twelve week quarantine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a twelve. Week. On a desert case, island. In that case, it is a piece of cake. I would take my Kindle. Okay. Uh, I would take my Kindle kind of rammed with um, lots of books, and I'm a big fan of um, kind of Tudor history. So okay. I would just be reading all about Walsingham and and uh, Elizabeth I and Henry VIII and all of that kind of good stuff. That's cool. That's, that's a sensible selection. Um, so moving on to the next one. If there's one person you could take, to a desert island, who would it be? Would it be, um, well, I'd have to say my husband, right? Okay, yeah, fair enough. That's like, that, that would be, uh, but if, assuming that family, you know, my husband was already there and my daughter, then uh, I'm there for 12 week quarantine. I would take uh, Cornelia Davis and I would just like, I would just be like, that's it, dude. You you are gonna you are gonna mind meld all of your experience over the next twelve weeks into my brain. That was a great choice, Nash. But we've been hit by some quite severe budget restrictions. Like I don't even know if it's gonna be an island, to be honest. I think it's probably just gonna be somewhere in a taff. <laughs> so, lowering our budget and 
I, I've still got a choice for you. So if you had to take someone and it was either currency club favorites, Dan or Ed, um, which yeah. one? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. That is a toughie. Whilst you decide, I... I'll just say that Dan and Ed, they are two amazing people that we all know and love in the Client Native yeah. Wales community, and they're a very significant part too. Uh, I, I think I've given you some time to I figure would out. take, right, so I would take um, Ed, but uh, I would take Ed, but only because that would be, if I took Dan, I'd be taking him away from his kids. Oh. And Ed's actually quite a good cook. I don't, and uh, I don't know about Dan, Dan's cooking capabilities. So I'm going with the selfish um good cook well i'm i'm looking forward to this uh home lockdown all being over and ed inviting <laughs> me over for dinner sometime soon <laughs> i think we need to get a tweet out right nush chooses ed over dan <laughs> <laughs> click eight here we come <laughs> right um so if you had to choose between the cake which cake would you take well, there's only one cake. It's a Battenberg, right? Okay. Which is the king of cakes. Fine choice. Fine choice. Fine. That is a fine choice. It's like, why, why would you take any other cake? Marzipan, jam, sponge. Solid. So um, we decided as we're the Cloud Native Wales, we should ask a sort of Welsh question. So there's a very famous train station up in North Wales with a, a numerous characters that we're going to ask now all of our guests to try to pronounce. Um, so would you like to go ahead and try to pronounce or successfully pronounce Llanfair PG? All right, I'll give it a go. Okay. Llanfair Pwllgwingis Gogherlch I think that's going to be one of our best for a long time. That was very, yeah. very good. <laughs> I've, got, I've got a daughter who goes to a Welsh medium school. She's been coaching, so it's good. Well, uh, we did we, we did prime you so to not leave you totally in the in the yeah. way. But we didn't mention that you've now won a Battenberg cake for such. <laughs> yes. Which we will be given to you after this quarantine ends. Yeah. No, we give in tomorrow. It goes off on Saturday. So thank you ever so much, Nish. Thank you so much for your time. When we were looking to start this podcast, you were the first name that we could think of where we were thinking, we want to promote the people that we know in Wales who are doing such great work. And not just inside of Wales, but also promoting what it's like to work inside of Wales outside. And we're always looking forward to you finding out hopefully that you well you're lined up to go to vegas later on in the year i am Rather I am. <laughs> yeah. but still so again from all of client native wales group thank you ever so much for coming and sharing your stories i've learned more about you today as well this is phenomenal and Amazing. i'll get you a tudor book as well for the next time that i see you uh, oh tudor board game next time you give a talk at client native yeah. wales yeah yeah well it's been an absolute pleasure thank you very much folks Thank you so much. Have a nice Christmas. <laughs>